James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now please drop down to verses 12 to 18. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Well, last week we started this series in James. This is going to take us through a couple months. And uh, our theme is not what you just heard Mark say, grace in action, which is our initiatives, but faith in action. So we're, we've got a nice little action theme going here in the new year. But um, that's what the book of James is all about. It's about faith in action. Show me the faith you have in God by how you live out your life. And um, today we look at this topic as, that's already been brought up of trials and tests. How do we respond to the challenges of life? And honestly, I can't think of a more important conversation as a follower of Jesus than that. When life gets hard, how do we respond to those trials? Um, James might have had very specific trials in mind with his readers. They might have been going through some real specific things. Uh, we don't know exactly. We know some of what that is. But I like verse 2. I like what James says. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, trials various and sundry, it's sort of a catch-all phrase, any, any kind of trial that you might have, right? And so Joel already encouraged us to think about what, what are some of the trials we're going through right now? And I want to invite you to think about that. Um, but trials come in, in many shapes and sizes, don't they? There are small trials. Uh, there are very big trials. Um, there are very acute trials that are intense for a, a, a moment in time. And then there's chronic trials that kind of drag out a long time, right? That those, can be, those can be hard. There are relational trials. There are financial trials. Uh, there are physical trials. There are emotional trials. There are spiritual trials trials. Um, some of you right now are in the middle of a really hard trial. Uh, some of you have just come out of a really hard trial. And some of you are about to go into a really hard trial. And I'll just say, I'm, I'm humbled to, to speak about this topic. Uh, there's, these are things that are not too hard to say, uh, but very difficult to live out when you're actually in the middle of it. So, 
Um, but we get to do this. I'm very honored to talk about this topic today. Um, James kind of just comes right out with it. It just kind of hits us hard with that, that verse too, right? Consider it pure joy, right? And I don't know about you, but I think we're always struck by that word joy. Like, really, James? <laughs> Consider it pure joy? And I, I don't think, whoa, I don't think by pure joy he means Joy is the only thing we will feel in trials. I hope that's not what he means. Um, and I think we look at the Psalms, we see that uh, all sorts of emotions are modeled in trial. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. You know, Paul says, weep with those who weep. Paul doesn't just go, go to people who are crying and say, that's okay, just be happy about it, right? So I don't, I don't think joy is the only thing that we experience, but, but he's clearly saying there's a way to experience joy in trials, and the trials of your life can actually contribute to your joy, okay? I was struck this week most actually by the first word in that phrase, consider pure joy, which is the word consider. I think James is saying it's all about how you consider it. It's about your perspective. It's about the mindset you bring to trials, and, and the metaphor I want to run with this today is, is James is, is trying to give us a lens, like a set of glasses that we put on, and he's saying, I want you to view these trials through this set of glasses, through this lens, because I think um, it's all about the lens that we bring to trials. And I was just thinking about this this week. Isn't it interesting that two people can go through trials, the same kinds of trials, and one person come, can come out on the end of that more bitter, uh, more anxious, more closed off to God, more closed off to others, kind of less of a fully formed person than they were before trials. We've all seen that happen to people through trials. And other people can go through a very similar trial and come out humble, kind, compassionate, actually something in them more opened up to God than was before the trial, more opened up to other people. Have you ever noticed that? And what I want to ask is, why is that? How has that happened? I think part of the answer is, it's the lens that they bring to their trials. Um, I couldn't help but think of uh, Viktor Frankl's famous uh, work, and I see a, a, a wonderful psychologist nodding over here, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, how many of you read Man's Search for Meaning? Okay. Yeah, a bunch of you. One of the great books of the 20th century. Uh, Frankel was a psychiatrist, uh, an Austrian psychiatrist, also a Jewish guy, who was put in um, the concentration camps during Nazi Germany. And so he, he experienced and watched his fellow Jews go through the most atrocious, almost unimaginable trials and experiences. And what he does is he chronicles in this book, what was it? that helped some people actually make it through this. He would watch certain people find meaning in their suffering and somehow continue to survive, and others he'll describe would literally just die. They just would give up and die understandably. And his, his whole idea is it's the lens that they brought to it, is whether they could find meaning in their suffering or not. Here's two of his famous quotes. Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Or everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedom, uh, the last of human freedom, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. He's talking about the lens that we bring to our trials. 
And so what I want to do today is, is look at the lens James gives us that we're to bring to our trials. Actually, three lenses we'll look at. He gives us looking at your trials through the lens of maturity, uh, through the lens of eternity, and then through the lens of God's love, okay? Maturity, eternity, and God's love. So a lot of this is familiar territory, um, but so important for our faith. So let's take a look at this. First, look at your trials through the lens of maturity. Let me read it again. Verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Here's the lens. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, you'll never get through trials properly unless you look at them through the lens of the kinds of people that God is wanting to form you into. And the words he uses are words like mature and complete, robust, strong, battle-tested men and women. This is what God has wanted to do, not lacking anything, he says. Your character has been fully formed. The fruits of the Spirit are in full effect, and you're becoming more and more like God's own son, Jesus. You will never understand your trials until you recognize this is the kind of thing that God has destined you for, to be that kind of being. One of my favorite, this reminded me of one of my favorite lines in all scripture, this image in Isaiah 61 where God says, you will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And uh, I love oak trees. Uh, Carrie and I love driving past like Santa Barbara into Solvang and San Luis Obispo, that whole kind of moving towards central coast and those rolling hills with these just epic, strong oak trees. And we need to remember that this is the kind of thing, the kind of person that God is forming us into. He's strong, robust, mature, complete human beings. Um, the problem with that, of course, is at least I'll tell you for myself, most, I go through my days not necessarily wanting to become that. Um, I go through my days looking for comfort <laughs> and pleasure and ease or a good reputation or all number of things that is not necessarily that. And so I have to remember, no, God has a very specific purpose for your life to become this kind of thing. And here's how he's at work to make this happen. Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith. This is what this passage is all about, the testing of your faith. That word test, it's a very specific word. It means to learn the nature or character of something by submitting it to thorough and extensive testing. And this, this week, I, I really focused on this. It, it's right here. What specifically is being tested in trials? It's right there. Your faith. What is being tested is your faith. And I thought, that actually is not how I always think about it. I sometimes think, what's, what's being tested? Um, my patience is being tested. My character is being tested. My kindness is being tested. My sense of humor may be being tested. And those all may be being tested. But it's so important to remember the thing at the heart that's being tested is not your character, not your patience. It is your faith. That's what's being tested. And so the question in a trial is never, do I have what it takes to get through this? That is not the central question. The central question is this, will I trust him? 
That's the question. Will I trust him? Will I continue to cling to him through thick and thin? Will I believe that he is trustworthy and will I keep going to him through this trial? And when this trial produces anger or doubts or questions or confusion, will I let all of those things kind of slowly pull me away from him and go like, ah, this is just too much. I'm just gonna distance myself from this God. Or will I let those things, will I turn that anger and that confusion towards him and will I, will I wrestle with him the way that Jacob wrestled God and continue to cling to him? That is the central issue in every trial. Will I trust him or not? You know, back to this tree. Um, oops, you shouldn't have seen that. Um, <laughs> the question is, in seasons of drought, in trial, right, will these roots go deeper and, 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 and you know, attach themselves more deeply to the bedrock or not? And I've been told that certain trees, it is pre- precisely in the drought seasons where these roots have to go deeper, right, to find more water. And it's an interesting thing about faith, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Faith tends to grow not in seasons of comfort and ease, does it? Unfortunately. Faith is, it's kind of like a muscle, right? It it grows through exercise, and if it isn't exercise, it tends to atrophy. And so God, in his loving mercy, brings trials into our lives to test and to grow our faith. And when you cling to God in faith through trials, what does that develop? Verse three, the testing of your faith produces great word, perseverance or endurance, or I prefer the word steadfastness. Um, The the Greek word there has the image of, of being able to hold up under a heavy weight for a long period of time. Imagine carrying this heavy weight and you, you, you just hold up. You do not buckle. under. The, you keep going. This long obedience in the same direction. Steadfastness. That's what tested faith produces. Steadfastness. Uh, steadfastness. Not, not a quality our culture really uh, values highly, right? You don't hear a lot about steadfast. We like things cheap, quick, and easy, right? But such a central biblical quality, when your faith is tested, and when you pass through the fire, continuing to cling to God, you develop steadfastness, this this sense that, um, not that I have what it takes, but that my God will never leave me or forsake me. That has been tested in my life. And I, as Paul says, I can do all things, meaning I can go through anything, not in my power, but in him who strengthens me. I've held fast through the, through the thick and thin, and I have steadfastness. Pretty amazing, right? So that's the first lens of, of our trials. Through the lens of maturity, this is testing my faith, and God's design is, is that it would produce perseverance, that would produce this complete, whole, robust character that I become more and more like Jesus. And if we can bring that lens to our, to our trials, at least there is a joy that can be found through that. All right, second, let's look at the lens. That's the lens of maturity. Uh, the lens of eternity. 
Gosh, those almost rhyme. Look at me. Um, we jump down to verse 12. Don't have no fear. I will cover the other verses uh, in the following weeks, but I want to stay on this theme of trials. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Um, notice, we're still on the theme of trials. All the same words, perseveres, trial, test, right? All the same concepts. But now he gives us a new lens. And for those of you who love cameras, I was thinking the first one is a narrow lens. Now he says, I want you to put on a wide lens. I want to step back and even look at the lens of eternity. You've got to look at your trials through the lens of eternity. And he has an image here, right? Um, this person will receive the crown of life from the Lord. Um, I think he's running with an analogy that every first century Roman citizen or person in the Roman Empire would understand of the ancient Olympic Games. And that's the image I wanted to show you here of an uh, Olympic athlete, you know, receiving that laurel wreath, that crown uh, for having won the Games. And um, of course, we can focus on this, the gift, which which James refers to as the crown of life. You will receive the crown of life. And I think that's a metaphor. We're not gonna receive an actual crown. I think the crown is life itself. <laughs> what you are gonna receive from the Lord is eternal life. Fullness of life in a new heavens and a new earth, right? With the communion of the saints, with your Lord, ruling and reigning with Jesus forever. This is the gift for those who have stood the test eternal life. And what's really clear in this passage is this gift is only for those who have stood the test, whose faith has stood the test, whose faith has persevered to the end. Okay, this is not the gift, just, just, just praying a prayer once in your life doesn't give you this gift necessarily, or standing up in a, you know, you went to youth camp when you were a kid, or some services, you know, we call you up to the front and that kind of thing. Um, that alone does not give you, guarantee this gift, okay? This gift is for those whose faith lasts and stands the test, perseveres. And all genuine faith will last. But, but James and Hebrews and Peter and Paul, they are all so uniformly in line with each other. What they say, the only faith that counts in that day is faith that has stood the test, that lasts. And what a great reward for those uh, whose faith lasts. And I, I, what I actually was thinking this week, I was thinking about the reward, but I thought about the giver of this reward, right? That the Lord will give on that day. And I was picturing Jesus on the day we stand before him and him giving us this gift, but not just the gift we receive, but the giver. And his look of pleasure and delight and approval and pride in his people whose faith has stood the test. His well done, good and faithful servant. And that approval and pride will not come because we were perfect, because we didn't make mistakes, but because he'll say, you kept trusting me. <laughs> Through the good times and the bad times, you held fast. When you were mad at me, when you are confused at me, when you were doubting me, you continued to come back and hold fast, your faith never failed. Well done, good and faithful servant. He says that, we'll, that, that um, he will give this to those who love him. And I wanna to suggest today, if you love Jesus, 
There is nothing that will produce more pleasure in you than to have his look of pleasure on you. I loved how Joel described the Lord's favor and the Lord's face shining on us. To actually experience that one day and to, to stand in that space with, with God forever. There is nothing better than that. I like how, um, did I put this here? Yes, I did, good. First Peter um, 1, seven. exact same context of trials, and he says this, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, all the same themes, look at this, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And we know that Jesus is gonna get praise, glory, and honor when he's revealed, but I think here the context, he's saying you will receive praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He will come and he will reward his faithful servants. And I couldn't help but that, that word glory, I couldn't help this week but think about um, C.S. Lewis's great sermon, The Weight of Glory. How many of you have read that little sermon, The Weight of Glory? If you haven't, I'd encourage you to. Um, I got, I've gotta read, I just couldn't help myself, I've gotta read a part of this for you. Um, if it is in fact in my notes, and it is, good. Um, he talks about this word glory, and he, he describes it as a kind of fame, fame that we'll experience in eternity, which sounds a little weird, but let me just, I want to read you this passage. To try to take this in. Um, let me, yeah, put this back. Listen to this. In the Bible, salvation is constantly associated with crowns, palms, white robes, thrones, and splendor like the sun and the stars. All of this makes no immediate appeal to me at all. But as I looked into the matter, I was shocked to find this theme of eternal glory and fame. Not fame given by our fellow creatures, but fame given by God. Approval or appreciation by God. Then I remembered that no one can enter heaven except as a child, and that nothing is so obvious in a child as its great and undisguised pleasure in being praised. Not only a child either, but even in a dog or a horse. And I was thinking three little girls, and you've, if you've had children, or even if you've had a dog, we know the pleasure of the inferior thing in being praised by the superior thing, right? We, we, it's such an intuitive, and it can be actually be a very pure pleasure to, to perform in front of your parents and to receive their praise. Or a dog does what it's supposed to do, and, uh, it, you know, well, I won't go into that, but um, <laughs> I love that. That image. And that is enough to raise our thoughts to what may happen when the redeemed soul, beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief, learns at last that she has pleased him who she was created to please. And she will be free from the illusion that it's her doing. She will most innocently rejoice in the thing that God has made her to be. I love this. In the end, that face, face of God, face of Christ, which is the delight or terror of the universe must be turned upon each one of us at the coming of Christ. Scripture says that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible, and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work 
or a father in a son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts cannot hardly sustain, but so it is. Isn't that beautiful? To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. (laughs) And so that's the second lens we bring to our trials. And what's so hard is when you're in the thick of a trial, holy moly, you, all you can see is that trial, right? I mean, your, your, your lens gets so myopic. And so James is trying to help. He's like, as much as you can, try to put on that wide lens. Try to see this moment in light of eternity and the, the stunning approval that you will receive from your maker on that day because you've clung to him through trials. As Paul says, these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. So that's the second lens. So first, the lens of maturity. Second, the lens of eternity. And then third, and in some ways, this is my, my passion is to share this last one most of all, the lens of God's love. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So it seems like Paul is, or I'm going to say Paul throughout this whole series, sorry, I can't help myself. James, you can correct me every time. Um, James is, is transitioning a little bit from trials to temptations, but I think his theme is still actually the same because, as we all know, every trial carries with it a temptation of some kind, right? Oftentimes a trial might carry uh, multiple temptations. Uh, the trial of a tough marriage, for instance, that's a trial. It may carry a temptation of that coworker who is a little funnier and a little cuter than your spouse, right? Uh, financial trial. Some of you may be in financial trials. That's a trial. That could carry, as we move towards tax season, uh, temptation to fib on your tax return, right? And so I'd invite you to think about, like, whatever trials you are going through right now, what, what are the temptations that are kind of inherent in those trials, And and I think one of the greatest temptations of all, especially when trials are especially severe, is to begin to distrust God's love for us. That's that's the deepest, I think, temptation, is to start doubting God's love um, and to start doubting his favor that we've talked about and his good intentions for us. And to start thinking, gosh, this is so brutal. God, God doesn't feel very loving right now. I don't think God's listening to me. I don't know if God cares. Or sometimes it can even get worse. Like it feels kind of like God is messing with me right now. You ever had that experience? Sometimes when like trials are so severe, they just one after the other keep coming. It feels like, honestly, this is starting to feel like a cruel joke. Like I feel like God is out to get me. God, God does not have my good right. He's kind of messing with my life right now. I don't know if I can trust him. And I think that's what James is trying to get at here. No one should think that God is tempting me. Verse uh, 13b, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Ooh, I love that. Nor does he tempt anyone. God has never been tempted. We know that Jesus in his humanity was tempted by evil, right? But God, in his sovereign godness, he has never once been tempted. It's never been a thought. For him to do evil is 100% pure goodness. And because that, he will never tempt anyone directly towards evil. He is so distant from evil, he will never be the source of a voice that's trying to take you down and send you towards evil. God will never be that way. As, as, that is so out, outside of his character. 
okay? And, and I would say, um, well, let me keep going. He says, the temptation in trials is not coming from God. Whatever you're feeling towards, towards something bad, that is, that is not God's voice. And he basically says, that's coming from you. That, that, that's on you, right? Um, verse 14, but each person is tempted. Gosh, I could give a whole sermon on this verse. When they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. We all know how this works. Something starts with a desire, an urge, an impulse inside of us, a thought inside of us, and then we, we give a little room to that thought. We start to coddle that thought, and we start to flirt with that thought, and that gives birth to sin, and then we can habituate that sin over time and make a lifestyle over that so that that results in this life of ultimate spiritual death. Okay, a whole sermon there we could give. Um, but the basic point that I want to make here is, is James saying, God will never take your life in that direction, okay? He, his, his motives and intentions will never be for your spiritual harm. Don't ever think that about God. That is not who he is. That is the result of human sin, and he'll bring in Satan later in the book as well to, to mention him. No, instead, verse 16, I love this. I'm gonna close with this verse. Don't be deceived, right? Don't think, don't think that way. That is not the way to think about God. Even when life is so painful, that is not what God is up to in your life. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of, of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's saying God will never be the source of temptation in your life, just the opposite. God is the source of all good things in your life. And I love the image. It, every good gift, is, it's, a, it's a present participle, is coming down. I was picturing like the rain falls, right? God is constantly showering good gifts on his kids. And this is happening to all of us all the time, whether we recognize it's raining or not. That constantly God is, is showering down good gifts on our lives. In fact, every good thing that you have ever experienced in your life, every single good thing, guess what the ultimate source of that good thing was? Your Heavenly Father. None of you knew the answer. The answer is your Heavenly Father. <laughs> I've, been working, I've been at this for 20 years. I you guys... Whether life is great, whether life is hard, God is constantly showering good gifts on his kids. And then I love this description. He is the father of lights. And I'm just going to put up a fairly cheesy light picture there. He is the one who said, in the beginning, let there be light. He's the one who created the great lights in the skies. He's the author of light. First John says, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. James' version of that is this. The father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What he's saying is your father is 100% light, meaning 100% pure, 
undefiled goodness. There's not a trace of sin or wickedness or bad motives in him. There are no shifting shadows. I love that image. There's no clouds that pass over the light of God. He's not like, in the context, it's what are God's motives towards you in trial? And what I think he's saying is, God is not like this, this combination of good and bad. Sometimes he's for me, sometimes he's against me, sometimes he blesses me, sometimes he's out to get me, right? And every other human being, every other person in the universe we will find in this world is some marbled mixture of good and bad, right? From politicians to pastors to parents to kids, everybody is some mixture. And James is like, your heavenly father is not like that. He is pure goodness. And when you are going through trials, his motives and intentions for you continue to be pure goodness. He does not want to harm you. He is never out to get you. He is always giving his kids good good gifts, and he is always for you. And I want to end on that simple note, to look at this picture as a picture of God. And I think if, if, if I could, you know, some of you are going through it right now. Or you're, you've come out of some, and you're honestly, you are, you are hobbling. You are like, I, I don't even know where God and I are after what I've just been through. Um, and again, some of you will be walking into things. And if I could leave you with something from James 1, I think it would be this picture. In that, that part of your heart that wonders, can I trust this guy? Like, I don't, I don't know what to make of this. Um, if there's one thing I could say for you to hear that I believe is from God, it would be where we started the service with that song, The Blessing. And you remember that, that line we, re- we just repeated at the end of that song? He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. And so I would just want to speak over all of us from the Lord for you to hear in trials, your Lord say to you, I am only and always for you. I am only and always for you. I am never against you. I am never out to spiritually hurt you or harm you or take you down or mess with you. My motives are 100% for your good. I love you. I see you. And I will always be working in all of these things for your good. I am only and always for you. And if there is one thing that I think we ought to then say in trials to God, it is the simple response. And this is what I'd invite you into, almost like a mantra as you're going through hard things. It's the simple response. I trust you. I trust you. I will try to trust you. Lord, I don't believe. I trust you. Help my unbelief. I want to trust you. Help me trust you more. And as every fresh trial comes up, I believe that is the first and most important aspect of the trial. Can we continue to say that, Lord? I trust you. Okay. When things are stripped away or when things are piled on, I would trust you the testing of our faith. Let's pray.
Father of Lights. I pray for these wonderful friends and brothers and sisters of mine who are all going through some kind of trial. Lord, would you give us a biblical lens that's not going to remove the pain, but that can help give perspective. Lord, I pray that we might experience your favor upon us in all seasons, your good intentions for us, your love for us. And Lord, increase our faith. Faith is a gift from you. Your spirit produces it in us. So Holy Spirit, would you have your way in us? Come and fill us in deeper and more powerful ways that we trust the Father more and more. And I pray as we now experience you at these tables that you'd minister to us, uh, that you'd encourage us where we most need encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.